You're listening to Morning Short, the podcast that brings you a great short story two mornings a week. Available on listen.morningshort.com, iTunes, CastBox, and any podcast app you like. Today's story is The Postmaster by Rabindranath Tagore. But before we begin, I want to tell you about CastBox, one of the preferred iOS and Android podcast apps of Morning Short. CastBox has the best listening experience you'll find anywhere. It's been featured by editors worldwide, and it's available for free on iOS and Android. Try CastBox for your next story. And now to our story. The postmaster first took up his duties in the village of Ulapur. Though the village was a small one, there was an indigo factory nearby, and the proprietor, an Englishman, had managed to get a post office established. Our postmaster belonged to Calcutta. He felt like a fish out of water in this remote village. His office and living room were in a dark thatched shed, not far from a green slimy pond, surrounded on all sides by a dense growth. The men employed in the indigo factory had no leisure. Moreover, they were hardly desirable companions for decent folk. Nor is a Calcutta boy an adept in the art of associating with others. Among strangers he appears either proud or ill at ease. At any rate, the postmaster had built little company, nor had he much to do. At times he tried his hand at writing a verse or two, that the movement of the leaves and the clouds of the sky were enough to fill life with joy, such were the sentiments to which he sought to give expression. But God knows that the poor fellow would have felt it as the gift of a new life if some genie of the Arabian Nights had in one night swept away the trees, leaves, and all, and replaced them with a macadamized road, hiding the clouds from view with rows of tall houses. The postmaster's salary was small. He had to cook his own meals, which he used to share with Ratan, an orphan girl of the village, who did odd jobs for him. When, in the evening, the smoke began to curl up from the village cowsheds, and the cicadas chirped in every bush, when the medicants of the Ba'ul sect sang their shrill songs in their daily meeting place, when any poet who had attempted to watch the movement of the leaves in the dense bamboo thickets would have felt a ghostly shiver run down his back, the postmaster would light his little lamp and call out, Ratan! Rattan would sit outside waiting for this call, and, instead of coming in at once, would reply, Did you call me, sir? What are you doing? the postmaster would ask. I must be going to light the kitchen fire, would be the answer. And the postmaster would say, Oh, let the kitchen fire be for a while. Light me my pipe first. At last, Rattan would enter with puffed-out cheeks, vigorously blowing into a flame a live coal to light the tobacco. This would give the postmaster an opportunity of conversing. Well, Rattan, perhaps he would begin, do you remember anything of your mother? That was a fertile subject. Rattan partly remembered and partly didn't. Her father had been fonder of her than her mother. Him she recollected more vividly. He used to come home in the evening after his work, and one or two evenings stood out more clearly than others, like pictures in her memory. Rattan would sit on the floor near the postmaster's feet as memories crowded in upon her. 
she called to mind a little brother that she had, and how on some bygone cloudy day she had played at fishing with him on the edge of the pond with a twig for a make-believe fishing rod. Such little incidents would drive out greater events from her mind. Thus, as they talked, it would often get very late, and the postmaster would feel too lazy to do any cooking at all. Rattan would then hastily light the fire and toast some unleavened bread, which, with the cold remnants of the morning meal, was enough for their supper. On some evenings, seated at his desk in the corner of the big empty shed, the postmaster too would call up memories of his own home, of his mother and his sister, of those for whom in his exile his heart was sad. Memories which were always haunting him, but which he could not talk about with the men of the factory, though he found himself naturally recalling them aloud in the presence of the simple little girl. And so it came about that the girl would allude to his people as mother, brother, and sister, as if she had known them all her life. In fact, she had a complete picture of each one of them painted in her little heart. One noon, during a break in the rains, there was a cool, soft breeze blowing. The smell of the damp grass and leaves in the hot sun felt like the warm breathing of the tired earth on one's body. A persistent bird went on all the afternoon, repeating the burden of its one complaint in nature's audience chamber. The postmaster had nothing to do. The shimmer of the freshly washed leaves and the banked-up remnants of the retreating rain clouds were sights to see, and the postmaster was watching them and thinking to himself, Oh, if only some kindred soul were near, just one loving human being whom I could hold near my heart. This was exactly, he went on to think, what that bird was trying to say, and it was the same feeling which the murmuring leaves were striving to express. But no one knows or would believe that such an idea might also take possession of an ill-paid village postmaster in the deep, silent midday interval of his work. The postmaster sighed and called out, Rattan! Rattan was then sprawling beneath the guava tree, busily engaged in eating unripe guavas, at the voice of her master, she ran up breathlessly, saying, Were you calling me, Dada? I was thinking, said the postmaster, of teaching you to read. And then, for the rest of the afternoon, he taught her the alphabet. Thus, in a very short time, Rattan had got as far as the double consonants. It seemed as though the showers of the season would never end. Canals, ditches, and hollows were all overflowing with water. Day and night the patter of rain was heard, and the croaking of frogs. The village roads became impassable, and marketing had to be done in punts. One heavily clouded morning, the postmaster's little pupil had been long waiting outside the door for her call, but, not hearing it as usual, she took up her dog-eared book and slowly entered the room. She found her master stretched out on his bed, and thinking that he was resting, she was about to retire on tiptoe when she suddenly heard her name. Rattan, she turned at once and asked, Were you sleeping, Dada? The postmaster in a plaintive voice said, I am not well. Feel my head. Is it very hot? In the loneliness of his exile and in the gloom of the rains, his ailing body needed a little tender nursing. He longed to remember the touch on the forehead of soft hands with tinkling bracelets, 
to imagine the presence of loving womanhood, the nearness of mother and sister, and the exile was not disappointed. Rattan ceased to be a little girl. She at once stepped into the post of mother, called in the village doctor, gave the patient his pills at the proper intervals, sat up all night by his pillow, cooked his gruel for him, and every now and then asked, Are you feeling a little better, Dada? It was some time before the postmaster, with weakened body, was able to leave his sickbed. No more of this, said he with decision. I must get a transfer. He at once wrote off to Calcutta an application for a transfer, on the ground of the unhealthiness of the place. Relieved from her duties as nurse, Rattan again took up her old place outside the door. But she no longer heard the same old call. She would sometimes peep inside furtively to find the postmaster sitting on his chair or stretched on his bed and staring absent-mindedly into the air. While Rattan was awaiting her call, the postmaster was awaiting a reply to his application. The girl read her old lessons over and over again. Her great fear was, lest when the call came she might be found wanting in the double consonants. At last, after a week, the call did come one evening. With an overflowing heart, Rattan rushed into the room with her. Were you calling me, Dada? The postmaster said, I am going away tomorrow, Rattan. Where are you going, Dada? I am going home. When will you come back? I am not coming back. Rattan asked no other question. The postmaster, of his own accord, went on to tell her that his application for a transfer had been rejected, so he had resigned his post and was going home. For a long time neither of them spoke another word. The lamp went on dimly burning, and from a leak in one corner of the thatch water dripped steadily into an earthen vessel on the floor beneath it. After a while Rattan rose and went off to the kitchen to prepare the meal, but she was not so quick about it as on other days. Many new things to think of had entered her little brain. When the postmaster had finished his supper, the girl suddenly asked him, Dada, will you take me to your home? The postmaster laughed. What an idea, said he, but he did not think it necessary to explain to the girl wherein lay the absurdity. That whole night, in her waking and in her dreams, the postmaster's laughing reply haunted her. What an idea! On getting up in the morning, the postmaster found his bath ready. He had stuck to his Calcutta habit of bathing in water drawn and kept in pitchers, instead of taking a plunge in the rivers, as was the custom of the village. For some reason or other, the girl could not ask him about the time of his departure, so she had fetched the water from the river long before sunrise, that it should be ready as early as he might want it. After the bath came a call for Rattan. She entered noiselessly and looked silently into her master's face for orders. The master said, You need not be anxious about my going away, Rattan. I shall tell my successor to look after you. These words were kindly meant, no doubt, but inscrutable are the ways of a woman's heart. Rattan had borne many a scolding from her master without complaint, but these kind words she could not bear. She burst out weeping and said, No! No, you need not tell anybody anything at all about me. I don't want to stay on here. The postmaster was dumbfounded. He had never seen Rattan like this before. The new incumbent duly arrived, and the postmaster, having given over charge, prepared to depart. 
Just before starting, he called Rattan and said, Here is something for you. I hope it will keep you for some little time. He brought out from his pocket the whole of his month's salary, retaining only a trifle for his traveling expenses. Then Rattan fell at his feet and cried, Oh, Dada, I pray you, don't give me anything. Don't in any way trouble about me. And then she ran away out of sight. The postmaster heaved a sigh, took up his carpet bag, put his umbrella over his shoulder, and, accompanied by a man carrying his many-colored tin trunk, he slowly made for the boat. When he got in and the boat was underway, and the rain-swollen river, like a stream of tears welling up from the earth, swirled and sobbed at her bows, then he felt a pain at heart. The grief-stricken face of a village girl seemed to represent for him the great unspoken pervading grief of Mother Earth herself. At one time he had an impulse to go back and bring away along with him that lonesome waif, forsaken of the world. But the wind had just filled the sails. The boat had got well into the middle of the turbulent current, and already the village was left behind, and its outlying burning ground came in sight. So the traveler, borne on the breast of the swift-flowing river, consoled himself with philosophical reflections on the numberless meetings and partings going on in the world, on death, the great parting, from which none returns. But Rattan had no philosophy. She was wandering about the post office in a flood of tears. It may be that she still had a lurking hope in some corner of her heart that her dada would return, and that is why she could not tear herself away. Alas, for our foolish human nature, its fond mistakes are persistent. The dictates of reason take a long time to assert their own sway. The surest proofs, meanwhile, are disbelieved. False hope is clung to with all one's might and main, till a day comes when it has sucked the heart dry and it forcibly breaks through its bonds and departs. After that comes the misery of awakening, and then once again the longing to get back into the maze of the same mistakes. If you enjoyed this story, please let us know. Say hello at facebook.com slash morningshort or reddit.com slash r slash morningshort and give us a like on CastBox. Visit share.morningshort.com to invite your family and friends to listen to stories from Morning Short. Learn more about Morning Short and sign up for our daily emails at morningshort.com. <laughs>